0: Welcome back to JK Moto Podcast, a weekly motorcycle podcast for the everyday motorcyclist covering current bike news and specializing in track riding and club racing. We truly do it all. This week, brought to you once again by Working Class Customs, which is a custom fabrication shop out of northern Utah. And once again, as always, you can direct any further questions on Working Class Customs to Cole. To Cole. What? To Cole. Answer. Sorry. <laughs>
1: nice. Freaking nice.
0: Yeah. Are you gonna okay.
1: are you gonna teach us how to ride today?
0: Am I gonna teach you how to ride today? What are you what do you what, yeah. what do you mean?
1: You are gonna give me a tidbit take into next week so I can contemplate, learn, improve the game, if you will?
0: Yeah, actually I do have a w- another weekly riding tip. And this week's weekly riding tip is brought to you once again by Bittinger Motorsports, which is a motorcycle coaching school down in Houston, Texas. Go check them out. Link is down in the description. Josh Bidinger sent over kind of more of a, a tech tip, I would say today, but def- definitely a healthy tip that I think is something we might take for granted. I'll read it. I'll just read it. All right. He says, a faulty tire warmer can lead to cold tire-related accidents. Always leave one, glo- one glove off and check your tires with your bare hand beneath your warmers before going out. A green light on your warmer doesn't guarantee that the tire is actually warm. Which, when I read that earlier, I was like, that, that's true. <laughs> the electricity could be to the warmer, and the warmer element's not working. And, and I mean, there's a lot of different things could definitely go wrong. And if you go out on cold tires that you think are warm, you definitely have some big issues. So, once again, that tip brought to you by Wittenger Motorsports. Go check them out. Link's down in the description. If you're in the central area, go ride with uh, Josh or Ride Smart or any of the guys down there in southern Texas.
1: Perfect. I like that one. I've seen more than one time somebody try to go out and realize that their tires were not warm for one reason or another.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: Not always. Yeah, I know. I'm... Failure, not always just a failure, but maybe they forgot to plug it in, even.
0: Yeah. Yeah, true. I mean, the, the first step would be looking for the green light. Uh, if you don't have a light on or something <laughs> indicating that your tire warmer is working, then you might not even need the glove check, but. It is always, I mean, it's just one of those things to kind of add to your quick list of things. You always make sure your helmet's strapped up, make sure your jacket's zipped up, make sure your tires are actually warm, right? Like, easy things that you can do to prevent a major mishap right off the bat. So, definitely a great tip. Anyway, what are we, uh, what are we getting into tonight, Cole?
1: Well, tonight we have a, a new guest on the show. We'll be joined by Lauren Prince. Uh, Long-time motorcycle rider, currently competing in the Build Train race, and we thought it'd be a good idea to pick her brain and see what it's like. This is her second season, so she's got one season under her belt, so she should know what to expect this year around.
0: Heck yeah. Yeah, I'm excited to get her on here, get to know a little bit about that program, a little bit about her, and, you know, general motorcycle talk. Uh, Real quick, though, before we... Roll that intro and get started. I uh, just wanted to mention, if you're here with us on YouTube, thanks for being here. Please subscribe to the channel down below. Throw a like on the video. And if you don't want to stick around for an hour to an hour and a half, maybe even two hour long podcast, we understand that. Go hop over to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever your favorite platform is. Find us there, JK Moto Podcast. We are, you can Google it. We're everywhere. And listen on there. Definitely a great show for your weekly, not weekly, your daily commute to work or whatever else it might be.
1: Yesterday, at one point, I was in sick. 153 miles an hour. Did you watch World Superbike?
0: So on Saturday, I got on the website and I clicked on a video and I thought it was a race and it was a race, but it was definitely the smaller bike class. And so I watched that and that, that's all I watched. <clears throat> Sorry. But I'm assuming you have but some news.
1: I won my bet.
0: Okay. So uh, Top I'm- Rack beat, remind me, Ray.
1: Ray, yes. So the bet was the bet was that Top Rack would finish ahead of Ray. And since we, I don't remember if we did that on camera or off camera, but we worked it out behind the scenes. We said there's two races in World Superbike, one mm-hmm. Saturday, one Sunday. So it was the best average finish from those two races with the Super Pole as a tiebreaker. Top okay. Rack destroyed ray in the first round so going into sunday i only ha- he only needed to finish 12th or better and then right. going into like the first or second lap after huge delays all day for that sunday race they had all kinds of problems top rack's bike exploded
0: <sighs> like a space shuttle a, a bmw exploded
1: yeah it It must be, it's got to be sugar in the tank from some of the competitors.
0: (laughs) He did so good his first day that, uh, yeah, no, he definitely took butt. But what's the the other news there? So the bike blows
1: up and I went, Mm -hmm. oh no, the only way I can win this now is if Ray crashes, like soon. And Ray crashed soon, so I feel like I might have done that to him and I'm a little, I feel a little guilty now. (laughs) <laughs> uh because ray crashed and finished more than top rack so i'm not sure what the thing shows but he should be at least one position ahead of top rack but not enough to make up the 12 places or whatever that he was behind from the day before so i am the winner
0: yeah Mr. I, just looked, I just looked up the results and it looks like also that in case there was a tie even the super pole top rack Did pretty good
1: Uh, he looked I mean it just goes to show it definitely goes to show though what a top quality rider can actually do Mm -hmm. because where were the other three BMWs same place as always fighting to get in the top 10 yeah I mean that's basically what they did all last year so
0: so predictions, all emotions and personal, whatever's aside, are we going to see a, like a top three every week or is it going to take him a while to get used to this bike?
1: Uh, I don't know if you remember, but I mentioned this is not his favorite track. Philip Island is not his favorite track because there's no hard braking.
0: Right. I do remember you mentioned that and I would, it makes sense that if there's no hard braking, he's not a fan. So
1: Yeah. I think there's definitely going to be tracks that are going to be more up his alley that he can mm-hmm. do better on. Also, they'll continue learning with the bike, learning each other. I right. that, that did nothing. I mean, it was pretty unfortunate the bike blowing up. I don't know what the deal was there, but I come out of that with higher you know, hopes than I had before.
0: BMW's mechanical issues—they kind of go hand in hand. So,
1: oh come on,
0: what are what are you doing right now? Or what have you been doing for the last week out in the shop?
1: Yeah, but it's self-inflicted. Okay.
0: Because you bought a BMW.
1: Yeah, I've got like 20-something hours invested into those things (laughs) over this weekend.
0: Uh, That's pretty good. Pretty good.
1: But those are ancient bikes. Them BMWs
0: don't owe me anything. That's
1: true. Now, the new one blows up on me. You know, race one or two, I'm going to be offended.
2: Well, hi, it's nice to meet you, first of all. Hello. Hi. I, I was getting well, nice to, that. to see your, Oh, sorry, I stole your thunder. I was going to say it's nice to see your face since most of our conversations, I was looking at the back of your head.
1: <laughs> That's funny. That's true. That's true. I mean, that sounds weirder than it is. Uh, we were just in a truck. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I guess you could take that a lot of different directions, but <laughs> I mean, we had some face-to-face interactions before that too. But
1: right, not been. It
0: was a good run. Where, it was a good run. Was an interesting where conversation. Was this, where was this truck? Remind me.
1: Brainerd. Uh, yeah, we met at we met at okay. Brainerd, and we had a a leisurely long ride back to the airport. We had some detours along the way, so. Oh, nothing too yeah. major. Just, you Nothing know, but
2: some know. lively interactions with the locals.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> lively, Brainerd, locals. All right, I got it.
2: I mean, Minnesota. <laughs> yeah. They got to have something going for right? Yeah. Besides just the yeah. uh, houseboat mosquitoes and whatever the other
1: stereotypes yeah, are. M- Maple
0: syrup, hockey, all the, you know, southern Canada.
1: And Arnie yeah. Palmer's.
0: Well, hey, since I don't know you, actually, um, and we're we're kind of starting all weird here today. Do you mind introducing yourself real quick? Give us a quick uh, kind of background and who you are and what you do and whatnot.
2: Sure. I mean, I guess it'd be fun to stir the pile and just be like, well, what the heck do you know? Because you got pitched on me and said yes. So you got some brief bio. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Something.
1: What did Cole say about me is what she's saying.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, I could get into those details, but I don't know if we need to share those details tonight. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, You're a man who's that, easily swayed or with bad judgment, one of the two, then. Which, hey, my kind of people. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, do, I do ride <laughs> motorcycles, after all. So Yeah,
2: we're all guilty of excellent judgment, obviously. Um, yeah, my name's Lauren Prince. I'm on here because I ride with Field Train Race, which is a product of Royal Enfield. So I did one season of Moto America with them last year, and then I race here locally in Southern California with CVMA and CRA. Um, but in the bigger picture, uh, I don't know how much backstory you're looking for, but I'm originally from Tennessee, uh, lived out in Oregon for a number of years, bounced around, um, lived in Wisconsin, Colorado, Thailand, parts Africa, like really all over before okay. landing in long beach california and um i like probably other people you've chatted with or maybe yourselves like i'm really new to motorcycles in general i've been riding almost exactly three years so the fact that (laughs) i got to be in the moto america paddock is really astounding and just you know have dived right in and been on this insane learning curve and just love this community and the people that are in it and it's just a
1: special thing to be a part of. So, all right, perfect. Yeah. Let's let's pick, let's pick some of that apart. Yeah. <laughs> here we go. Why are you living in so many places? Are you crazy?
0: Specifically, Thailand, <laughs> <Africa>? Like <laughs> um, the, the Tennessee, Oregon thing was like, okay, yeah, the U.S. I got it, and then terrible. like
2: sure, what? yeah, um, yeah, this is where my bio is never that straightforward. So I'm in Long Beach because I got a job here during COVID. Uh, I'm a veterinarian and this is my second career. So my first career was more like politics and political organizing um, as well as some international development. So uh, I worked in Madagascar for a time with WWF, not the wrestling federation, but the like World Wildlife Protection Fund. Then Thailand specifically was like, I had to get out of politics. I was getting miserable. I didn't want campaign manager or lobbyist after my name, I uh, just didn't want that trajectory, and got an invitation to speak at a conference in Borneo on a one-way ticket, and said, "Yeah, well, actually, they, they offered me a round trip ticket. <laughs> it wasn't like I was going to get nabbed to Borneo, but um, <laughs>
3: <laughs> I was, gonna I was, gonna I was wrapping up
2: a couple of <laughs> a couple of campaigns and like really well networked in the Portland and Northwest area. and just wasn't finding things that I wanted to do and that opportunity came along and I I figured it was a good way as any to kind of convert it into seeing more of the world and figuring out some stuff and also I did have a desire to ride on two wheels so I've only been riding motorcycles for three years I did start riding there on a manual scooter and so that's where I kind of learned some of how to ride and that was my main transportation and I remember like going around on some of the country roads um I was like volunteering and working on different projects while I was over there. I'd always like lean over and go meow as I'm like grabbing the <laughs> throttle. So <laughs> it's definitely a important of things to come.
0: So does a lot of the scooter theory translate over to.
2: I mean, I think in that case it did because I was on a manual. Like I still had to figure out how to shift and use a clutch and all of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what translated over was if you learn on a smaller bike, you make a lot of those mistakes where there's less consequences. So I remember like coming up to stop signs or like you know you're in a pack of riders when you're on the streets in Thailand. I was mostly in northern Thailand, so it wasn't as crazy as Bangkok, but still like you're moving around with a ton of riders going in all kinds of different chaotic directions. And so just figuring out how do I manage myself and How do i operate this machinery and like you know sometimes like i wasn't good on the throttle and i jump forward and then i've hit the brakes and then nearly tip over and like these things that you kind of do as you're learning where you're like oops that didn't go so well like Mm -hmm. let's try to not do that again but i did it on you know a little scooter that i don't even know i mean it couldn't have been like more than 20 horsepower probably i don't think it got above 55 miles an hour going downhill with (laughs) with the breeze behind me a tailwind um but yeah that principle of start on smaller things and develop your skills and build up to managing power i think definitely applied
1: okay was that your first experience on two wheels then over there just kind of
2: more or less yeah um i had an uncle who had a bike growing up and i i totally like esteemed and revered him and he'd like lived on his bike, traveled cross country as a 15 year old. I don't know how the heck he got a triumph in like the fifties and sixties in Alabama, but he and his buddy just one point put their bags on the back of it and like skipped out of high school. And then after they graduated, they went out to Washington and lived in a shanty lean to for a couple of years. And all that was on their motorcycle. So like (laughs) the motorcycling thing wasn't foreign to me. I just, never got to be as much a part of it. And like, I had cousins who had a dirt bike. And I remember at one point, like, we were out like, you know, kind of in a floodplain by my uncle's house in Alabama. And they had their cool new dirt bike out and learned Do you want to come with and I was like, oh, yes, hell yes. Hells allowed, right? Is That kind of like yeah, no, you are good. Rules <laughs> I was like, hell yes, but I had no idea what a clutch was. So now like, as I look back on it, I know what I did, but I totally just whiskey throttled it off the gate because I didn't know how to like slowly start it. So I think they got it going and then like they released the clutch and then suddenly it popped and like I was taken off and I think I was grabbing the clutch thinking that it was the brake, and nothing was happening. And then suddenly (laughs) there was like a five foot drop off. So my first time on a bike, I crashed it. I have a scar
1: all right I, I usually say well never mind i'm not gonna go there the uh
2: no i want to hear do share
1: <laughs> no that, that's a that's a whole so so normally i would say chicks dig scars but then you i said I'm
2: crazy we go ahead. then you then you pause because you're worried that'd be offensive or
1: no i wasn't worried about yeah. that i don't know i was just worried about yeah. I was like, I was playing chess over here. I was like four steps ahead. Oh. And I didn't right. like where I was headed, oh, so yeah. I stopped.
3: Certainly,
2: certainly. Mr. Mr. Cole, being
0: um, four steps ahead.
2: So, <laughs> like, there's younger writers on my team. When I went back to school, I was with younger people. I remember, like, they're like, what's that on your arm? I was like, oh, it's a scar. I start telling about that. Start telling about one over here, one here, you know. And they're like, oh, yeah, I have a scar. A scar. <laughs> I don't get
3: this. Yeah. I grew up
2: covered in them, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> if you ride motorcycles, you're going to be covered in them. Me. Like, I, I would agree with that. Yeah. So That's- yeah, I, I think running around the backwoods of Alabama paid off.
0: <laughs> what, what was that quote from, this is a forever ago podcast, but something about your camping, your crashing, go out in the woods, your crash five times. Go to the track, you crash five times. You're camping, you're crashing. He I just, said that at one point.
1: <laughs> I just, I just made the, I was making the argument that, you know, when you're into road racing, and mm-hmm. you tell somebody you crashed, and then mm-hmm. it's the craziest thing they've ever heard. Right? You, you crashed. What? It's the craziest thing. But if you, you ride a dirt bike, and you come back from a camping trip with a family or a motocross weekend or whatever. They're like, how many times did you crash? It's just a different different perspective.
0: Yeah, when you're when you're yes. off-road, you're expected to crash. When you're on road, if you crash, you're whoa. So
2: right. But you can use that to your advantage too, because if you show up to work on Monday or you don't want to show up to work,
0: more to the point,
2: <laughs> you tell them you crashed over the weekend. <laughs> and they're like, Oh my god, are you yeah, okay? Right. Are you sure you need to be here? Yeah, I just it rang my bell pretty bad. I I could use a couple <laughs> of days to get back together.
3: Yeah, I'll well, see you thirty. Kinda, that re,
0: that reminds me of I I went to a chiropractor a few months ago and had me fill out this whole sheet of just random info, and part of it was like, have you been in any vehicle accidents recently? And I had recently put my perlia down at the track. I was like, well, I I kind of wrecked a motorcycle, and the receptionist was like, oh yeah, we need to know about that. And I was like, okay. So then they had me fill out all this info and it was like address, speed you were going, the, was it a crossing street or was it like how many other vehicles were involved? And I was like, just me, left hand, low side, turn blah at Atlanta Motorsports Park. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. The actual like, doctor.
3: You're like, I biffed the
2: turn. It's really not a big deal.
0: Yeah, it, it was, the receptionist was like freaking out. The doctor came out and he's like, so you crashed at a racetrack? I was like, yeah. And he's like, anything like, did you flip over? I'm like, no, nah, I literally just slid it out. And he's like, okay, I don't care. I was like, all right, sweet. Cause I was trying to figure out what address I put for, uh, you know, legal reasons <laughs> of put motorcycle down at racetrack. And anyway, so if you go to a chiropractor and it's a, it's a racetrack accident, I don't know if you need to bring that up. That's my point. Save, Save the it. hassle. Yeah. yeah. Well,
2: it's funny because like when I started racing, I think this is true for a lot of people, like maybe you've been riding for a while and you've spent a lot of time at track days, but the idea of going into racing, like you know everything's stepped up, right? And so you see that as soon as you start riding, you have riders that are closer to you, you suddenly get this rapid education on what passing actually looks and feels like and what's kind of actually acceptable and safe versus what's really sketchy, right? And then also like one of the things that blew my mind too is like seeing these bikes just pulled apart. And Lugnut is a great example of this For like 30 minutes for a race, it doesn't look like there's a bike sitting there on the stand and then suddenly he's out there winning. Um, and so like you, you cognitively know that crashing is going to be a part of the race experience. But I think every rider has to kind of navigate that. Like that was something that I definitely had to like find my way through as I transitioned into racing because you just don't know what that's going to look like. Right. Like, cause on a right. track day, like you're done and everybody kind of gathers around you and it's this catastrophe.
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: but then on race weekends, you're kind of like, Oh, then you got up and you put the bike back together. It was no big deal or whatever. Hopefully, hopefully. Right.
0: Right. Hopefully. So what, I mean, is, is there a story behind that? Your, your first wreck racing? if you will.
2: sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I was definitely anxious about what that would be like, um, particularly, like having the career that I do. I mean, not not to say that, you know, i not have like important careers, but you know, I just finished this expensive education to pursue a career that was super meaningful to me. And I work for myself. So there's not as much of a safety net and really wondering like, okay, when I encounter a crash, is that something that's going to, you know, physically, you know, really endanger my security and safety and, you know, like have to go move back home or whatever. Right. Um, Am I going to lose my career? You know, if I have some sort of brain trauma, like, is that going to impact my career? Am I going to lose months of work? Like it was, it was scary as well as I felt like, you know, I found this thing that I really loved, or, or rather, I think I always knew that like I loved motorcycles. I'd always been enamored with them. I'd always wanted to ride. um And so I worry that like is crashing to be something that freaks me out so much that then I don't want to pursue this anymore. And that you know, what does that look like to me too? Right. Because you guys know, like, like it's an amazing community, it's an amazing sport, and like all of these implications and all the ways that motorcycles extend so far beyond just like one person. It's it's massive. It's it's it can be so fulfilling. So, you know, all of those things definitely like went through my head a ton. And um my first crash wasn't crazy, but I think everybody's first real crash gonna freak you out. (laughs) Uh, Um I I ended up uh crashing at Crash Corner. (laughs) Chuck (laughs) Walla. Which is a a spot. Yeah, right? Like interesting to do a survey and find out how many people have have crashed there like what percentage of our racers have gone down there um you know and it it was a rookie mistake where i leaned off too far and gave it gas too soon an off-camera section and the bike ended up spinning up and like i was facing the wrong side of the track and suddenly had a sky dirt sky dirt sky dirt situation and thought i'd (laughs) broken a rib and you know i'd worn through part of my glove which was kind of I do a lot of surgery so that was scary mm. um but then like before I even got back to my pit my buddies were already putting my bike back together and like I was racing within an hour um so kudos to them and the community for putting me back together but you know unfortunately what happened after that was I was like okay I just got my bell rung I need to get my head right again I went to a track weekend the next weekend thinking like I'm going to put in a ton of seat time and I crashed again <laughs> And that time, um, I high sided in the bowl. Okay. So ended up on top of the bowl, which I was really happy to learn that there's actually a top there. It doesn't just drop off. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a
1: sand room. Yeah, Knock I mean, on wood. I like up that, there. Though.
2: yeah, yeah. It kind of feels like it when you go through a bowl a lot of the time. If it's really banked, like there's not like like that's the edge of the world uh, across the top of the bowl. Right. You know. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I just I got. I got launched and high-sighted and I uh, kind of landed on my head and I, I got a concussion and I was face blind for a while and had deja vu for like a week. And so like all of that definitely like created kind of a reckoning with doing all this, pursuing it.
0: But it And know, here I am. So. It didn't stop you, <laughs> obviously. So
2: Clearly. Yeah. Clearly per your earlier comment, we're all a little crazy and have screws loose. But, but you do learn be, that as you know, part of it.
0: You know, it could be the, the concussion just wiped away the you know clean slate from here on out we're good and
1: that works for me how long do you think it took you to get that out of your head when you got back on track um i mean like a
2: month and a half maybe i um i was able to get out to check wallet i rode like 5 days in a row cuz we had a double R fest with Nate Kern and then Walla and then a SoCal weekend so I had a long stretch of riding and i think that kind of let me get my feet back under me but it was i mean i'd be lying but i'd say it was really hard to race because i had to race after the crashes before i had that weekend to kind of get back
1: okay yeah it's just it's just all we we've had conversations on here before i get called selfish sometimes for for racing because you do take a lot of risks you put a lot yeah. of you're taking a lot of Chances, and it's just interesting to hear different perspectives. Sometimes people are like, "How can you, how can you put yourself out there and do something like that?" And I always say, "Well, how can you walk across the street? How can you leave your home? For that matter, your your house might start on fire." So, yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely things you can do in this world. Uh, Nothing safe. fit your time. Yeah, it's your time, I, I mean, I
2: it's, it's all it's all relative risk, right? And I think that that's something that hopefully the more you ride, the more you develop judgment around that, as well as you develop skill to mitigate those things and, you know, whether you're a street rider or a Canyon rider, or you're out on the track, like that's a pretty fundamental aspect of maintaining the ability to ride and do what you love, but also developing the ability to like receive that question and kind of have a thoughtful, self-aware response too right? Like, I, I guess I could correlate it in a way like I used to work in the beer industry. And so we'd have all these meetings where we're, we're drinking beer and then you'd go from one brewery to another, it was horrible, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> just drinking back to back IPAs every day. Um, but you have these questions where you're like, alcoholic I mean, like, I do drink like, you know, <laughs> all these 10% beers on a daily basis, but I do it for work. So and you know, people in the business too, where you're like, okay, like, a little worried about johnny (laughs) over there or whatever and you're like but
0: i'm not i'm not like johnny right like yeah it's only at work not not at home right so right Uh,
2: yeah
0: well (laughs) you know my my other argument has always been that whether it's racing or or just track days or whatever it might be related to a racetrack there are regulations on the racetrack like if you show up and you don't have a helmet whether or not it's a helmet state you ain't riding if you don't have full gear you're not riding everyone's going the same direction everyone's got the same ish goal we're all going relatively the same speed with a designated set of rules there's no cars there's no hopefully no deer and animals or whatever unless you're in Australia and a bird comes in anyway anyway um <laughs> yeah but but in my opinion in general like you know, people ask how how could you do that? That seems so unsafe. Like, how can you wreck and come back? I'm like, Well, if I wreck on a racetrack, the, ch- the chances are that it was because I did something wrong. And there's no other vehicles involved. And so generally your gear's there for a reason. The way you wreck is going to be a little bit safer. They've got runoffs, they've got all these different things, and then you know, air fence, whatever it might be. So you're gonna get up, you're gonna get your bike packed together, and you're gonna go ride again on the street or wherever else you might ride. Uh, I can't speak for Thailand. So, you know, who knows out there, but wherever else, you you know, there's so many other factors that go into it. So that's kind of been my, my take on that throughout the years.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's absolutely true. Right. But like we're, we're track and race junkies, at least I assume, I don't know a ton of your story, but, um, of course we're also going to justify that for ourselves too. <laughs> but, but there's obviously truth to it. I mean, like, So like, I I corner work at SoCal Track Days with an organization called Big Heads, and it's primarily racers and other riders who are in the corners. And so we're tasked with watching everybody and trying to maintain a safe environment. And I think from a rider's perspective, that often feels very black and white, right? Like, It doesn't seem like something that would be ambiguous. If there's stuff on the track, that's dangerous. If you have somebody who's writing crazy wonky lines and clearly doesn't know what they're doing and they throw themselves into an a group like that's objectively very dangerous but you know sitting in the corner stand sometimes it's not as easy to 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 pull those things apart and you know my mentality is like let's be as proactive as possible to try to prevent something but figuring out you know you don't want to stand in the way of someone else like learning and enjoying their time too and it's hard to sometimes find that line.
0: Right. So you're saying you you don't fall asleep while you're working a corner, corner working? Uh,
2: not as of yet. Is. is that something that happens a lot with corner workers? That y'all I don't know. So I, I do can't do? say. Naming names? We're not naming names.
0: No, no names. No names.
1: We're not, we're not going to do names, but have you ever walked out to the edge of the track with a red flag in your hand and tried taking pictures of the bikes driving by?
0: not not like Uh, waving it but you like have it behind your back like you've got it ready and your phone's here you know so you're kind of doing one of those like chicken wing holding a flag while you're (laughs) obviously taking a video of your buddy
2: signature move maybe
0: no i mean this is just a theoretical question oh okay yeah um no
2: it's not theoretical we've seen this happen yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah
1: So let's Go dig into it. that a little bit. Uh, I've, following on Instagram, you are at a track a lot. How often are you doing the corner working? Um, you've been at all the CRA or the SoCal uh, so track days. I've seen you've quick, been at yeah. a couple of them at least.
0: Quick plug for anyone that doesn't know what corner working is. You're at a racetrack doing a flagging situation at a corner. As opposed to the other type of corner working that may or may not be out there in the world. There's also a, a t shirt <laughs> that'll be linked. I'll, I'll have a t shirt linked up. We have a, a corner worker t shirt. I just wanted to modeling make that t-shirt? special. Yeah, have I you think. seen it? You need one of them.
2: Fantastic. You could kind of, you know, blend both of those definitions you just shared by modeling yeah. The yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. My rolling so, black
1: me Sorry if things go crazy.
2: Oh, fantastic! Yeah, at, at any track, it's a controlled environment. Per your point, and there's stands at sort of key corners, and like Chuck Walla goes both clockwise and counterclockwise. So depending on the direction, certain stands will be manned more than others. Typically, those. You know, as I understand, it, as I've seen it, are staffed by people that live in the area that may or may not be race enthusiasts or participants themselves, and so there can be, also to your point, like a big spectrum of quality.
0: That's a good <laughs> way to put to it. When it
2: comes to corner working, um, I mean, I'm I'm still newer to it with big heads. I haven't been doing it for still well, haven't been doing it for super long time. I think as as someone who's on track, you can feel a difference when you feel like. People are paying attention. People are being proactive. Mm-hmm. Um, they're being responsive to situations on track. So if someone's off track, needs to re-enter the track, having a yellow flag out, just when you're riding, you want to be so focused on what you're doing. But there are these externalities that can affect your riding and create more dangerous situations. And you need some heads up to be proactive about that. And, you know, especially like something like a bike on track or a rider in the impact zone or... hopefully not but someone's injured and in need of aid that's probably one of my like (laughs) pet peeves because it got drilled into me that if you see a red flag like get get off the track like safely but as efficiently as possible it is not the time for a parade lap because chances are if there's a red flag it means somebody's really in need of medical attention right um and that's something that like going different track days i don't feel like is always communicated
0: yeah, hey, do I mean, you guys have any because...
2: crazy flags there? Crazy? Because yeah, see it, know, different organizations
0: uh, have different ones. I think the craziest that we've seen was up at so, up at Thunder Hill. Um mm-hmm. and and Cole, you can maybe you get a different story, but uh at Thunder Hill, if you get a red flag, you actually pull off the track and you just wait. You don't do it. you don't finish your lap or anything because I, I understand what you're saying. There's definitely the red flag comes out and some people I know I slow down way too much at first. And then generally mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, no, I need to, I got to get going here, get off the track mm-hmm. quick, safely, right? Bring it down to, I think the general rule is about 70%, right? That way you know you can make it safe. You're not going to add to the problem, but you're, right, exactly expediting your um, trip through. So the, so the ambulance can roll because they can't roll until the track is clear. But at Thunder Hill with whatever, track day organization we were with red flag came out you put your hand up slow down pull off track and wait and so there wasn't at all a come in and then the ambulance can roll it's just everyone gets off the track and the ambulance goes
2: oh everybody okay yeah
0: that's interesting that's kind of in my opinion that's the yeah it was really strange especially where where i specifically pulled off there were definitely about like a four inch gap between the pavement and the dirt and i'd been watching it all day you know out of the corner of my eye it yeah. was it was very distracting to finally like realize that i had to pull off there kind of i felt like my front tire was going to get stuck in there but we were all right in the end
3: yeah that is that is
2: bizarre <laughs> i mean like for a black flag that would make sense the black flag meaning like there's something wrong with you you're doing something or there's something mm-hmm. coming off of your bike because because we don't um I think some places we use a meatball it's like there's something wrong with you and what you are doing versus a black flag to say there's something wrong with your bike that distinction right. can be helpful or like um some places i think we'll use the blue flag for that even though uh, there's differences right it's not as right. standardized as maybe we'd like and yeah stopping everybody to just wait it seems yeah, like it, it was, would create yeah, it more inefficiency so i'm thinking of like one track day where it was before a race weekend and um <laughs> they let everybody out all at once versus staging like four riders at a time oh. so you get all these people like gunning to get their practice time be like i'm gonna get in front of this person blah blah and like i think for the entirety of the track day we got 10 minutes on track that weren't under a red flag because they're just like perpetual like not a great system right um mm-hmm. but if it had been that system plus the one that you're describing like what
1: a freaking mess yeah. yeah yeah it was i didn't i didn't like it because the there was no way for them to communicate with you when you were it was okay to go again
0: because yeah. depending on where you pulled you off, off, off you might track be...
2: at that point yeah
0: well you talk about like a sleeping yeah. corner worker that corner workers over there like okay i'm tired of holding this thing up puts it down you're like Am I so going to go, we're go or in, what? maybe and yeah. then me being all, I'm always like super worried about all this technical stuff. And I'm like, I got dirt in my tires. How long have I been sitting right. here? Are they cold? Does everyone else have dirt on their tires? So I just came in after that because I was like, usually yeah. red, red flag, you come in. If it's like a minute into your session, you might just stay in the hot pit and hope it, you know, moves on quick. But most of the time you're going to come in put the warmers on and that session kind of canceled for you. Because that's right. just the safer bet. so it was it right. was definitely weird right um, You're like
2: I could be hydrating right now or like instead of sitting there baking in the sun, getting further yeah. dehydrated, getting more distracted, not thinking about your riding and et cetera et cetera. Yeah. yeah which I guess all that drives home the idea that like we're engaged in this super dangerous pursuit and pastime and sport, but it's we're actually not, pretty fixated Super dangerous. We're fixated on safety. <laughs> this, this paradox right
0: yeah right yeah i was gonna before we get off this one. crash topic, <laughs> what nothing i, I honestly We're your uh your power phone. outage and internet issues you're kind of behind so i, I know like I that's talking. why it's a,
1: good, a hard time yeah i have a hard time getting anything in here i'm just leaving see you guys
2: Aw, it'd be sad Again, I get to have a conversation with your face for the first time. No.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I'm trying to see if I can switch to regular wife. Uh-oh. Okay. Now? I know.
2: I want to know what we're doing before we get off the craft So I can topic.
1: be less pixelated.
2: You are less pixelated.
0: You've been kind of in and out.
2: Yeah. I feel like he's out now completely, potentially.
0: Well, he's just laser focused on switching his Wi-Fi okay. over. Okay.
2: So I don't know as much of your story. Uh I guess I'm supposed to, right?
3: Yeah. <laughs> or do tell.
0: Uh well, while we're figuring out this Wi Fi thing. I don't know. I'm in I'm in South Carolina right now. I'm not in Utah and that's why I don't have power outages. Um I, it's a that's a long story. Do I look better or what? And yes, I Do it. I look
3: better? Or we
2: talking about the internet better. connection. My bad. Internet connection. Oof. <laughs> I, I
1: haven't been working sorry. out or anything. So,
2: <laughs> how's the like, shoulder, buddy?
1: It's coming along. I did a push up yesterday. It was amazing. One. Uh, yeah, just one. Just see if it would hey, still that? do one.
0: That's good. One clap. Wow, you got a <laughs> single clap. Not even a standing clap. Just a single clap. Hey, that's, that's pretty a good.
1: so hey, do you watch do you watch Supercross? I know this little Turkey Easton doesn't.
0: Oh my goodness.
2: I did watch, yeah, I do. So yeah, why? What you got?
0: Because I'm a, happy for Tomac as an old person. Crash?
2: To, like represent yeah.
1: Sorry, the I think I'm still delayed. behind, huh?
2: Yeah. <sighs> the crashed Sorry, last you root for
1: Tomac, I root for Tomac. The crash that was last night aaron fortner yes
2: yeah Yes. Yeah. so was leading. we should give people context right like fortner was leading he was running away with it having a great race in a very technical setting in arlington and with like a five second lead he biffed it on the whoops, lost his handlebar and then he That's got a
1: professional lip term
2: yeah and landed like it looked like like on his back and neck on the concrete like at high velocity
0: why are they called I... you go, because...
2: because you go whoops
0: i'm not super crazy you think that's why you don't think it's because they like someone was at one point riding down a road and there were a bunch of bumps and he crashed and he's like whoops
2: Maybe there's local right. means. Let's get existential I mean, here. I
0: don't. I don't. Anyway, <laughs> sorry. I'm like, why, don't,
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> why don't you Google it, Ethan?
0: All right. I will actually do that right now. Why are the answers? Whoops.
2: It's a burning question. So you brought oh. up this crash.
0: Whoops.
1: I screamed like a girl. It
2: was, it was scary. And then when they showed the other angle, it looked even worse. Mm
1: hmm. Yeah, the last when, lap when he went off i was like ah I, it was i was scared i was so scared for him and then like you said when they showed the other angle it was even worse
2: yeah and yeah with his spine kind of crunching and bending in ways it shouldn't i so um did you did you look into it at all today or hear anything further about that
1: Mm-hmm. fractured but, back.
2: apparently yeah, he. I think L2, L3, and a scapula were fractured. Um, but apparently he lost a contact at some point during the race. So he was riding with one uh, contact.
0: Like eyeball? Okay. So like if you had glasses and the glass just fell out of one of them?
2: Correct. Yeah, okay. I mean, Google that so that I'm not just
0: spewing things. but. I can't Google everything here. You're doing great. Google it. Take everything everything you say is a hundred percent correct. We'll Google ourselves and
2: I appreciate the faith you're placing in me. <laughs> 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 um but yeah, he was running away with that race theoretically without much depth perception, which is really impressive. But oh. yes, yeah, his crash was crazy. But I like when you watch Supercross as like a road racer are you half the time like this is nuts, like the pile up that happened in Detroit for the 250 crashes, like their the start of their race. It, there were all these memes going around that were like, if you put this in black and white, it looks like the invasion of Normandy or something, which yeah. <laughs> 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 just looks like a, a World War Two catastrophe. Um, but they didn't red flag it. They, they keep going. You're like, how how is this acceptable? I don't know. The intellectual so- side of me thinks question
0: r- r- real quick question on that did you watch supercross before you started racing uh no okay no, this is because so, cole up here i believe has been watching supercross correct me if i'm wrong but probably for years i mean you've got so many years on you at this point that you know 50 60 years Come been on. Watching supercross here so you know where's the I'm 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 just curious you this way started road racing started watching supercross Watch supercross and then started road racing is there a difference in the way you look at it there
2: i just started watching supercross this season okay and uh part of it is that I had a teammate last year who was more in supercross and motocross and we had a couple girls that came from that background so they were always watching on the weekends not that we'd all watch but it like kind of Put it in my ear a little bit more and i think there might have been some motocross race or event in brainerd that same weekend um it was just like this like motorsports extravaganza the main reason is my boyfriend's super duper into supercross our like second date was at the la coliseum for world championship super duper motocross so i'm i'm learning those ways and like i've been going out to glen helen and have access to a two stroke now and and also like a bunch of the racers have more of a motocross background and so that's intriguing to me from like a cross training perspective but mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I feel like that was I don't know. Like I, I decredentialized myself by saying that
3: but yeah. I don't know. it's cool. No, I mean like I don't think so.
2: Thank you. I appreciate that validation. But it, <laughs> I mean it's cool. It's more motorsports and like do the things they do is bonkers, just like watching like MotoGP is bonkers. And I think mean, the more you get into these things, the more you can kind of appreciate just how wild it is the skill that some of these humans have. Like, to go back to the corner working thing, we had Josh Harrod out a couple weekends ago, and so I got this like front row view of Josh doing his thing, and a lot of the time that was like I'm sure painfully slow laps for him but then when he got let loose he's like skidding left and right and like sliding out the back in just for <laughs> <laughs> and just like to see the control that he has with the bike is mind-blowing and you know like there's these riders that are just capable of insane things and i think that's one of the things that's so cool about the sport is like we're all on the same track or we're, we all have somewhat the same equipment like all the JP forty three Bridmore's coaches, like Andrew Lee and those guys, like they're riding stock Kawasakis on DOTs and they're ripping.
0: Yeah. That um have you ever had a, a 10-year-old pass you on the outside of a corner at a racetrack oh. on a Honda NSR two fifty?
2: Lord, like I am so tired of chasing teenagers. <laughs> <laughs>
0: There was a, just, just a quick side note. Um, if you ever want to be like humbled and you think you're fast on a motorcycle, go find a racetrack where a 12 year old and races an NSR 250, which is a 250, you know, those things have probably less than, I don't know, less than 50 horsepower, most likely. And watching that kid and Cole was there watching that kid go around the outside of people that looked very, very fast, not, you know, let alone myself, which is. Not fast. Insane. Very, yeah. very humbling experience watching something like that. Cause this kid's just full leaned over, knee, elbow, shoulder. Casual. I don't know. Everything on the ground. Oh, yeah, like, like nothing. He he comes back in, and I don't mean to be rude. I really don't, but he could barely walk his own dog when he came back in. You know, he's out <laughs> walking the dog around around the pits. And I was like, dude, you can't even like hold hmm. that dog back, but you're showing everyone up out there on this little two fifty, like. Like, no one's business. So, anyway.
2: oh, It's it's wild, right? Like, Michael.
1: If I raise my hand, every time I say something, it's delayed. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, right, this is really hard for me over here.
2: Should we, like, stop and restart? Or, I mean, I work for old school
1: Nintendo. So... No. no, I mean, it, it.
0: I thought old school Nintendo is but just. You pull the game out and, like, blowing it. Yeah. And then
1: I already did that. <sighs>
0: <laughs> All right, Cole, go ahead. What do you got? I forgot now. Oh man,
1: suspense see, man. See, I have to say, I have to say something, and then I have to wait for you guys to react to it.
2: You have our undivided attention, sir.
0: We are listening.
1: Oh, well, I forgot. So just go ahead, edit that out. I'm, I, I forgot. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> <So anti-climatic. laughs> but yes there's
2: no shortage of humility options for opportunities for humility <laughs> because where we were
0: yeah They're
2: around on 250
0: yeah i don't remember right, exactly where i was point. going with that but anyway if if you own let me put it this way if you own a ducati and you're not not to hit on just ducati guys but they tend to be the the majority, I guess, I don't know of these people. Uh, I'm I'm digging a hole anyway. If you think you're fast, and you haven't tried it yet, go to a track day, and you should be humbled very quickly. That's that's all I was getting at, really.
2: Yes, and I think that's a good thing, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like riding with people who really know what they're doing ups your level because you're like, I didn't even think this was possible. Like, talking with somebody recently, we were saying like, everybody out there inside their helmet thinks that they are breaking the laws of physics. And they might be doing like a three minute lap time. But for you in that particular moment, like you feel like you are breaking the laws of physics until you've had a ton of seat time, I think. And there's there's nothing wrong with that. That's part of the fun and the thrill and the learning, right? But so like um it i remember i was i was out last season i felt like i was doing pretty good because i was in like a i had to be in a track day group where i was in like the racer two groups were slower and i was on my 400 and i was passing people so I, I felt like okay i'm running pretty well right and i'm like cracking that two minute mark which is respectable right. um on a 400 at, at chuckwalla and then suddenly like Four bikes just come whizzing by me like I'm just totally standing still, and then I realized one of them's Tony Elias, and I'm like, oh well, that makes sense, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but like even something like your track entry, like to start a race, and like you have these young gunners, and there's all these like, you know, last year riding 400s, like junior cup riders who are just out there charging, like right out of the gate, and you think like, hot, hot, like. I see already. We haven't even started the race. Uh, but you realize, like, no, that's what it is. Like, okay, doing that consistently is like, I don't know, they're getting in the vibe or like that's where they're comfortable riding. And, like, oh, okay, like this is how you get to that next level. Like, I want to see what I can do to emulate that to, to make it possible. I mean, I think, <laughs> like, you see those riders are for me. Like, I did a two up with Pridmore, my third ever track day. And I thought that I was in a video game because on the back of his bike, like that was the only thing my brain knew to compare it to. We're we're going through the bowl and there's the candy striping and I just see it like clicking by in my peripheral. And I had the urge, this sounds horrible. But I have the urge to like put my hand out like you do when you're in a, a boat, like a speedboat and you want to like touch the water and skim it. Like I I nearly started that movement. I was like, nope. This is real life. That's real asphalt. That will hurt. Like, get your head together. Like, this is crazy. And that's when I was like, this is crazy. What people can do with motorcycles, casually, in his case, mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's it's wild, right. you know. And I don't know. For me, I think that's that's so much of like the addiction and the drive is to be like, he's a human. I'm a human. I want to know how that human does that because that was really cool, right. And then, unfortunately, sometimes you crash on the way there. <laughs> a few times, but I don't know, what 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 sense do you guys make out of this whole pursuit? Like, Cole, you're told like you're taking too much unnecessary risk, and you take some heat for that. You only have one life to live. Everybody's got their time, but like, I'm curious about the why for all this.
1: So, why for me is I'm a I'm a huge bucket list guy, honestly. I have been a huge bucket list guy my whole life um, i'm getting I'm getting to be quite an old man at this point point. and my bucket emptied out a lot sooner than anticipated <laughs> I, I, I'd done everything I'd done everything I wanted to do so now what you you have to learn to start putting things in the bucket to I never anticipated I was gonna have to put anything else in the bucket. But this is one of the items I put in the bucket, and I'm currently in a race with myself, from an age standpoint, to achieve the goals that I want to achieve that I believe are achievable before I mm-hmm. age out of this thing. That's a good, Easton. Way it. That's really Easton impressive. Like, if you feel like you've,
2: you've hit the bucket list, <laughs> like to the point that you're like, "Well, now what?" Like, it makes me curious what else is on the bucket list, and how this became the next sets of uh, matches in your belt, I guess.
1: Is it still my turn?
0: Yep, still yep. your turn. We're waiting. We're being very polite.
1: <laughs> I, I know you are. I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry. Um, the bucket list, I mean, Easton knows me good enough to know at this point, but when I, when I say I'm going to do something, I do it. And That's just how you run out of things in the bucket. A lot of people have bucket lists that they never look at again. Mine, when, if something makes it into the bucket list, then I make a plan to achieve that and it's like a job, like get the bucket Mm -hmm. empty. And like I said, in the last 10 years, let's say in the last 10 years, I've just really realized I have to keep adding things to it or I'll start watching soap operas and sitting on a couch.
0: Eating microwave dinners. I mean I, uh, I you can I can strike
2: me as a telenovela type, but <laughs>
0: <laughs> I can attest to that a little bit. I think uh, when what four years ago you bought a, a Ducati Supersport, sport, drove it across Ducato's. country from Ducati from Connecticut, sorry, from Connecticut, and told me, hey, I want to come do a track day. And the, the hardest part about knowing this guy is that he comes and does one track day and he's like, yeah, it was pretty fun. And then a week later he's got an S 1000 and a trailer and he's down at another racetrack and, and he's doing it right. So when, when Cole throws something in the bucket that, that bucket's going to get emptied. And I, I mean, I would argue that anyone could do that if they want to, he wants to, that's what he's going to do. So that, would, that would be my, uh, my take on it. But anyway, yeah.
2: I, I like the social stuff <laughs> in a car long enough with me to figure that out. But like, I think the why is really cool. And like, <laughs> one part of that is like, that, like, I hear you say that and that inspires me. Like that makes me want to push that much more to try. And like, I think that's one of the things that's so cool and attractive about the sport and the community is it's not everywhere in your life that you really like kind of in the struggle with other people and like seeing people really push to get better and strive to improve themselves or work towards a goal or work their way through certain problems or, you know, sometimes it's like fighting different demons to get there, you know, talking about like having a crash and what's it take to kind of get back on the horse. Like that can be a very different process for different people. And depending on the crashes and whatever else, but you know, it's to me, like, I think that aspect of it is really cool. And the fact that like, particularly what I've seen like at CVMA and in our community, I think that you guys also have a really good tight knit community in Utah. Like people really wanna help each other out mm-hmm. in that process. And and like that opportunity to be a part of a community is hard to come by like currently in the world. Um,
3: yeah. And to get to pursue Especially things today, that,
2: yeah. yeah, like to get to pursue things and have tangible goals and markers to strive towards and see the effort people are putting in and, and, and see the ways that like they're, you're all kind of struggling together, like and ha- know that people have your back is really tremendous.
0: I, I agree with that. I will say, um, I think that's kind of, I want not maybe not half, but a, a big part of the reason why we, we've done this podcast, honestly, you know, to, to meet different people and, and bring people together all across the country, all across the world even, because the, the motorcycle community, which is, if you think about it from from a club racer or, or even a track day goer standpoint, the motorcycle community, sorry, let me get my hands here, is huge. But in the world, the motorcycle community is very small. So when you take those percentages and you break them down, the amount of club racers you have in the world is, to most people, inexistent. Right, and and MotoGP is so far off, and World Superbike is so far off. Those are all professionals; they're all getting paid. But there is a group of people in the world that race motorcycles and spend their own money to do it. And that group of people, you know, we all have that one thing in common. So I will say, for me, anyway, that's been something like that's so awesome about doing this—getting to meet different people, and we've all got the one thing in common. But hearing everyone's different stories and you know, you've only been riding three years. I've been riding for, I don't know, five or six. Cole's been riding for, again, 70 or 80. Um, what it, You know, whatever it might be. <laughs> but we've all got the one thing in common. I can't even fight back. Yeah, sorry. Internet, slow technology. What What's your fight? Well, now that I have the platform. So you mentioned
1: that you've only been doing this for... Three or four years, or four years, I think you said? I'm
3: trying to work with you
1: here, buddy. I know, I know. So there's a common thing that everybody always talks about in our sport. Everybody is always saying that the average lifespan for a rider is that, like three years. They come in and they're out. Um, Mm -hmm. Quite often we're talking to people, especially on this podcast, that uh, it's common for people to say, yeah, but." i been doing this for three years, four years, two years. And right. it's always like, like on one side, that's amazing. Like you got this good in, you know, this small handful of years. But yeah. on the back of my mind, I always think, yeah, but they might be gone next year. That's the natural progression for a lot of people.
2: Yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Cause that's, that was kind of on my mind as, as we were having this conversation too. And like, you're talking about your bucket list and I think everybody kind of has their set of goals that they may or may not share about what they want to do on a bike and you know it's it's a privilege to get to even pursue that but that that I just recently heard the two or three year thing myself and it makes you wonder like you know I feel like it's easy to understand the reasons why people might leave like they have a bad crash or Family pressure or career pressure or just like financially, like really challenging. Especially if you come in on bigger bikes, it's mentally, it's mentally really hard to keep up with. You know, so I get that. But I mean, I, I don't know. I guess we're just kind of shooting off the cuff. I don't know if you had a question there or just a it, But I think I think that that statistic's interesting for sure. And. I think it's also hard for people to walk away. That's the other side of it is you see people that still come back and they volunteer with organizations or they're the ones that are staffing races and maybe they're not racing as intensively, but it seems like just a community. that's so hard to walk away
3: from.
1: Yeah. I agree that family atmosphere you're talking about people start to get that family atmosphere going. They don't want to walk away from the family and. Mm While I have the floor, I was going to say back to the bucket list thing for me, there wasn't, there wasn't, there wasn't a question at the end of that about the, the mm-hmm. time frame of people being in the sport, but for me, going back to that bucket list thing, and I talked earlier about adding things to the bucket. Well, when you go into this, the goal was whatever. And once you achieve that goal, then you have to decide, do you want to go further Put that in the bucket and continue yeah. on, or or quit. Then I wonder how many people, you know, maybe they get a white number or they compete in a couple races and once they get to their first crash, and it costs them a bunch of money, that's as far as they wanted to go. That filled the bucket for them. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I mean, cause I've, I've been thinking about it, like clue you all in a little bit on my mentality, like. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm clear on kind of where I started. And yeah, you know, I feel really lucky that there's been this combination of factors that's gotten me to where I am right now. And a lot of that is having support from people and, and folks that literally helped me with the bike and coached and all those kind of great things. But like, we know now that Bill train race is going to be a two year program. I should spend a little more time talking about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's gonna be a two year program. So I'm coming back as a veteran this is my second year and i know that there's no third year ahead for me um so presumably this is my last it's my last year with the team it's my last year with this kind of a ride to moto america from a, a team support perspective royal infield is phenomenal um i mean they, they give us the bike they give us up a ton of sponsors for us um they pay for our travel they transport the bike they basically cover all of our consumables and costs when we're there at the track like that is a phenomenal level of support and something that so many professional racers dream of i mean it's basically it's a factory ride like incredible so in my mind i'm like okay well what what do i do with this what do i want to do with this moving ahead and this is kind of your point Cole. like i i'm figuring that out to a degree do i want to get a ride into moto america like yeah that would be amazing <laughs> um, but realistically you know i don't it doesn't happen for very many people there's not a ton of money in the paddock and really talented racers that have been doing this a long time and have a ton of connections they they aren't getting that. I mean, like, look at Michaela Moore, like, who's, you know, she's undefeated champion of our class. She's a phenomenal rider. She's now 20, but she was 19 years old. So speaking of like chasing teenagers around the track and being humbled, like she's a girl that grew up riding bikes. This is what she does. It's her passion. I mean, like they're, they're, she should be winning. Like she's been on a bike since she was two years old. Like when she got in trouble, she'd go do drills and all this other stuff. Like she's a phenomenal rider. She knows so much about motorcycle she works in a shop day in and day out like this is what she lives and does and breathes and she couldn't get a ride you know which i think is a shame that there isn't there aren't more people stepping up to support riders like her or like sonia lloyd who is the other like really talented young rider from our group and sonia will be riding in twins this year which like i am so stoked to see her do that cuz i think she's a really strong rider in her own right like there just aren't a ton of opportunities I guess maybe this is partially a call if you have any listeners who are like, I'd like to run to fund a race team, like, please, like create those opportunities for people. But yeah, like so much of what's special too, about being a part of the build train race program is realizing how much bigger it is than us as like individual riders. I haven't raced on a team, so I don't know how much that's a factor, but it's such a different product within the Moto America offering and within the Moto America paddock that it attracts a different kind of support and it connects to different people. I mean, like women is the obvious thing, but also like people who've been racing forever um, or been around motorcycles a long time because the bikes are more relatable from a vintage perspective. But like, yeah, where does it go from here? That's not always an easy thing to ask if, you know, you're not necessarily chasing like a certain lap time or championship trophy. It has to be a bigger thing. That goes back to the why question.
0: (laughs) Right. Well, so speaking of that, I mean, three years, Bill train race, where we, we talked about Thailand and everything else, where, as far as racing anyway, where, where's the start for you? What, what got you to racing and down that path?
2: Yeah. I mean, like I, I literally like got my license Valentine's day of 21 and then like a month later bought my first bike month i thought that there was a problem with that bike and it was a lemon and so then i went out and i found another bike <laughs> okay. and then by that fall i was on the track <laughs> right yeah totally um i i was riding a, a bmw r90 and um, was in with a group of riders who were pretty fast and some former racers and people who were like track day regulars and they're always like advocating for me to come to the track and I had a feeling I'd really like it I was trying different disciplines like I did some dirt biking I did like the mini biking thing I went and I did a police officer like drills just to like sample the world and figure out what I liked in motorcycles but I had a feeling I'd want the speed thing but it's a big it's a big step right to figure that mm-hmm. out but I was riding my R9T on track for let's see I started in October that fall uh so I was been 21 yeah I got my race license in April because it just I don't totally know what it is but I mean, I've gotten seat time but I've just had a really quick learning curve and it's been really fun to be on that learning curve and so racing just became the next thing. Uh And so I've kind of been doing motorcycles from like, well, this is the next thing. Like, this is what's in front of me. And that stems from when I first started being like, Oh, I really love this. Like this connects so many pieces for me and checks so many boxes for me. And I've been wanting to do this for more than half my life. And I'm finding it so fulfilling, like even more beyond what I could have imagined if I wanna keep doing this, I need to be good at it. If I wanna be good at it, I need to train at it. And that just kept kind of leading to one door opening to another door opening. And like being a part of Build Train Race is phenomenal. Like kind of beyond my wildest dreams. Like I've been to One Moto America event and it was just totally like smitten and had the feeling of like, I wanna be in this paddock. I don't know what it takes, but like, I wanna know what it is to like race in this paddock and be a part of this. And so like, I, I feel so grateful to be a part of this especially when it has more meaning but yeah I, just, I even ran this trajectory I guess to answer your question like racing became the next thing and then another door was in front of me and kept kept walking through them.
0: kept climbing the stairs Okay,
2: it's really fun I really cool. like going fast so, <laughs> <not too. laughs>
0: that might be that might be the best quote I think I've ever heard it's really fun I like going fast I mean it, it, it's simple but it just what is what more is there to say? <laughs> you you have the floor. That's all you.
1: I wasn't raising my hands this time. I was I was oh I was
2: saying wh- you
1: know
2: what to do with my hands.
1: Will Farrell he said I don't know what to do with my hands. <laughs> Easton doesn't get it. Sorry. Right. Th- 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 thank you for getting that though. Easton, because of these yeah. technical difficulties. Uh-huh. I'm I'm so excited to hear. Ask her the ask her the right questions, would you? Ask her. I I want to know what what's it like in that paddock with them girls. How is it setting up that trailer and tearing that trailer down every week? How what many races is, you got this year? Four.
0: What is build train race? Go,
1: Easton. Go.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I've been asking the wrong questions over here.
2: Apparently, I mean. But I think but Chad. yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean speak speak to us about.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So um <laughs> build train raises, I have is a unique offering in Moto America Paddock. Uh it's 12 women that all ride Royal Infield GT Continental GT 650s. Um, so it's technically a 650 CC bike that's a twin with about 42 horsepower. Um it's a classic, a <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh it's a classic. Cafe Racer style bike, rural Enfield is really good at making these workhorse type bikes. I compare it a little bit to like a VW Bug where like those things have been in production for decades and decades and decades and it's been transformed into different platforms. If you're getting the impression that it's not really a race bike, you would be correct. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, But Enfield is the longest, how do I, I gotta say this right? Longest producing manufacturer of motorcycles in the world. So they've been continuously producing motorcycles longer than any other make. They, I think this is like they make almost a million bikes a year. Um, there's a lot of infields out there, but they're all over the world and they're not really saturated in North America. Right. Um, based out of India. And like when I make the VW comparison, that's because that car was produced for so long and people can work on it and it's used in lots of different platforms. So, This is the fourth season of Build Train Race that we're gonna be embarking upon. It's undergone a lot of changes. Um, Since it started, it was originally conceived of as a program to get women who had road experience but no major track and no race experience onto a racetrack. Um, You give them a bike and used to be that like a bike box would show up at your doorstep and women were kind of released to figure out how do you turn that into a race bike turns out that's really challenging when you're trying to make a race bike out of a bike that's not really a race bike because you know if you take a ninja 400 or an s 1000 double r and turn it into a bike you got a million and one parts there's tons of knowledge about how you do that you have so many different shops you can go to some people whose brains you can pick but this this bike is really like we're doing the R&D on these bikes. So you get the bike, you build the bike, you turn it into a race bike as much as you, know, you can with suspension and removing tons of parts and trying to make it lighter and getting quick shifters on the things and all that good stuff. And then train, I used to be with Melissa Paris who started um, the first two years, like working with women on track, um, teaching them those skills. Now we are super lucky to have Freddie Spencer and essentially like the champ school coaches who will work with us last year, we were selected. So there's, you know, out of step here, but there's an application process. Um, it's both like you create a video and write an application and then get interviewed and selected for the team. So after we got selected, we went to Texas, we did a build with a couple mechanics to support us and then immediately went to the track and we're riding um, and got to train with Freddie Spencer. And then we did four rounds of Moto America. So, wow. Yeah.
0: Okay. So, so literally, I mean, the, the name build train and race is it's
3: very literal.
0: Okay. I didn't, I, I didn't realize that. I thought it was like build the mentality. I didn't realize you guys are out there attempting and, and building Yeah, race bikes. And out, out of, I mean, what you said about the fact that I've never had a Royal Enfield. I know one person that owns one. Um, and I don't think he could tell you the first thing about not. Not to offend the guy at all, but the first thing about making it into a, a track worthy motorcycle. Um, so that it yeah. is impressive. Cole. Yeah, it's
2: kind of funny is we uh we got together with our team last year in Texas and we're all introducing ourselves and one girl, Holly, who's so sweet and is like third generation motorcyclist, maybe even fourth out of um New London camp. She's Canadian. She's like i'm so excited to work on a modern bike because her background is like 1960s yamahas and we're all kind of chuckling was like oh oh holly this this is not <laughs> <laughs> you know like electronic suspensions and you know the throttle adjustment and all of like the technology of like auto blippers and slipper clutches like we do not have that right we barely have a because we barely have a gas gauge <laughs> like, there's no there's no uh gas cap it's like a racer gas cap that we could use either like it doesn't exist like we still have a key on the bike for that so
0: so is there i, I guess on, on the build side is there like limits you mentioned taking weight off and you know just taking parts off to reduce weight are mm-hmm. there limits on any of that or
2: i mean it's supposed to be a spec class more or less so like we're literally in a bike shop and we had all six of our bikes lined up side by side. And so we're going through the same steps in terms of like removing headlights and extra wiring and cutting down the subframe and swapping out the seats. There aren't a ton of parts that are available. So there wasn't a lot that could be done, but there was some variability to different riders builds. Okay. We have a rule book now. it's just a little bit ambiguous, last year we're not supposed to crack the engine open though. So, like that is so a hard
1: half, rule. so half of you you're doing your second year so yeah. half of you're doing your second year and then half of them are new you already built a bike last year you're using the same bike mm-hmm. so Correct. what are you doing that time while they're do you help them or
2: um they already did their build so that happened earlier this month um they've so i should say like the, the program shifted a little bit the first two years were under one person's direction, Brie, and she gets credit with um, basically starting the program. She worked for Oral field but then it, it wasn't very clear and I was getting a lot of feedback from people that it wasn't happening in the third year. So a lot of what my experience was as a first year writer was because they were throwing it together pretty quickly, like applications open ironically on Valentine's Day <laughs> 22. Uh, 23, sorry. And then we were in Texas like the first weekend of April with the bikes and yeah, it was a new team manager. They brought Freddie Spencer on, all the mechanics pretty much new to the bike as well. So there was a lot of kind of building the airplane while we were already flying it. And this year, I think the newer women um, have the benefit of more of that institutional knowledge to where it's more understood what updates are necessary for the bike. Like there's been some chronic transmission issues and they got ahead of that for their build. We didn't really have a front end until one of the, Megan who works for Olin's and provides a lot of on, on track or like trackside support at Moto America, she took it as her kind of personal project to figure out how to retrofit an R3 front end, like suspension canister that would fit into the Olin's. Uh, or not a the one sorry into our stock art so like we didn't really have a front end for a while um, or we have very minimal like sophistication with that front end so like this year's build they have a lot more benefit and i'm hoping that it's a lot smoother for them and there's less that's ambiguous for them but they went by themselves down and built the bikes um myself and the returners will be going down like the middle of march and we'll have about a three-day build like update process i'm not totally clear what that looks like and what projects we're going to be doing i mean like maintenance and swapping out the chain and and kind of doing those like let's start the new season things but beyond that i don't i don't know i think maybe we're doing like a new d10 spring or shifting star or something like that so there will be some additional projects on top of that and that's work that we do (laughs) which by the way like not a mechanic And mechanics usually take like years to decades to build up their skills. So,
1: yeah, I believe that. I don't know. So, they're doing four tracks this year. I've seen The Ridge okay. is one of them. What are the yeah. other three?
2: Yep. Our season opener will be at Barber. So, Alabama is the official start to our season at the middle of May, I believe. And then we have Road America, which is a return for us, and then the Ridge, and then we're going to be one of the other classes that's going to Mid-Ohio for the first time with Moto America. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, a lot of the ladies have ridden at Barber because uh, ARMA have their big like 100 year celebration, I believe, last year, um, and they let the rural infields in,
3: mm-hmm.
2: so a bunch of ladies rode and raced there already. I haven't ridden it yet. Um, but that should be a really I'm looking forward to it. I really like technical tracks. I like elevation. It should be cool. And the ridge is like for me, that was the most fun last year.
0: The ridge is sweet that way. So I'm gonna ask you a question. We asked Lugnut last week, and I'm I'm kind of curious about going to Barber for, for the first time. Does the program offer like the build and train and race? You as a racer going to a new track for the first time. How do you prepare for that? And th- does the program of Build train race kind offer up any solutions to this your first time at this track.
2: Yeah. Um, good question. You know, it's it's definitely hard going into to new tracks. And obviously all of those tracks last year were new for me. And I think different riders prepare with their own kind of system and style. Um, that's one of the things I really loved last year. And one of the things that I said, I'm gonna learn how to ride new tracks and like reduce that learning curve as much as I can. Um, So for me, it's a process of finding onboard footage, um, trying to talk to people that have ridden the track and have more intimate knowledge of it. So Mm
3: -hmm.
2: like for the Ridge last year, I I knew some riders from CVMA who ride up there it's kind of their home track and spent some time on the phone with them after I'd watched some onboard footage and had track maps and was drawing it out. So I was, I was drawing out the track and like, what are my visual markers? And okay, there's this patch of concrete to look for. And you wanna get your breaking done between here and here and really trying to think through each lap and what you're gonna be looking for um, so that when you get there, it's not new. Um, one of the ways I described is it, it's going from like a two dimensional to a three dimensional. And the faster you can get your brain thinking in three dimensions as a rider, I think the faster it is to assimilate to a track and like kind of that point like i think p1 and p2 like our first two sessions on track i had the fastest to the second fastest time um okay. so i learned the track quickly but it's harder to like make the, the further gains in terms of time <laughs> so like <laughs> I would have. I would love to do a track day in advance at Barber. I was able to do that for Road America, which also really helped because coming from the West Coast, the time change is really challenging too.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so I was able to fly out because I lived in Wisconsin. <laughs> um, was able to fly out early, join some friends there, and do a track day like the Monday before Road America. So I'd done that track prep, but then I was also able to have my own experience on track, which which helped with that learning. For Barber, I'll probably look for like a racing sim. Okay. And try to get a sense of like, what are the the elevations and the markers? And I might try to get some days at other tracks that have more like blind turns just to develop more comfort with that. And then for me also, um, I've been racing an R7 this year at cvma and cra like that's what i plan to race it's my bike moving forward but i'm probably going to switch back to riding the 400 a little bit more because it's a lot more of a momentum bike just mm-hmm. to have something that's more analogous yeah. to the infield.
0: So. sweet so it sounds like the as far as the training and preparing for new tracks that's pretty much up to the individual to figure out how they want yeah. to go about that okay okay okay
3: yeah
2: yeah, I guess that was a really long answer to a short question, but <laughs> yeah,
0: All good. The stories are good. this why we
2: Yeah, they kind of teach you like some principles of how to apply that on track and like learning how to evaluate a track, like what's an entry style corner? What's an exit style corner? What are kind of your biggest priorities on track that like you really want to nail this particular turn so that you're set up for like a big drive? So you're learning an analytical process for how to analyze a track map. Okay then I think each person has a different approach from there.
0: That makes sense. Okay. No, it's
1: my turn. Yeah. Sorry. I'm trying to gauge the delay. I think it's about two and a half seconds. Yeah. You racing the next check wall around then you missed the one round. I went to,
2: I know I was very bummed about that. That means I also missed, uh, Ari Henning, Ari Henning on a scooter. That was the other big news of that weekend.
1: I'm in the video.
2: What do you mean? Oh, his video, his 40 minute.
1: I was on the in the writers meeting and then they kept they kept driving past where I was pitted with Anthony.
2: Oh, cool. Yeah, I was chatting with the guy who was on the Pan America. If You saw that part of the pass, He has a literal turkey pan as his. <laughs> Is that
0: where that comes from? I've heard that phrase before.
2: A turkey pan?
0: Yeah, as you're under belly pan anyway.
2: Belly pan, yeah. Maybe. I don't know if they just didn't make one for his bike or he just didn't buy it or crashed or what, but, or if it was just meant to be a Thanksgiving special that carried on in perpetuity. But (laughs) the gentleman has had a literal (laughs) jerky fan just like strapped to the bottom of his Harley.
0: Well, hey, if it works, it works.
2: You know, there's room for all kinds of different style out there. <laughs> Whatever it takes. Absolutely. Past tech.
0: I don't see why I wouldn't. Honestly, I don't. I mean, if it's if it's gonna collect the fluids, which is its only job, then why would it not?
2: Saying we got style
0: out of check, walla.
2: But no, I was really sad to miss you guys. I mean, I didn't. I just learned that you were there too, but. We could have met and hung out, would have been lovely. Um, no, I, yeah, I what'd was, you think? Oh, you weren't there,
1: okay? Okay, yeah, he wasn't there.
2: Well, what'd you think though, after finally getting to make it out, hearing about Chuck Walla and lug stories and all that jazz? So,
1: I had to be completely fair, I had done a track day a year prior or something Mm -hmm. so it wasn't my it wasn't my first time there but what i was really excited to see and what everybody at chuck wall is always talking about is the the level of talent in Mm -hmm. throughout all the classes yeah um that was that was interesting to see firsthand um definitely a lot of definitely a lot of fast people out there Mm-hmm. I wish I would have had one more day.
2: Did you get to ride or you were there for the Apex Assassin's Day and then watch the races?
1: I was there I was there for four days, actually. I did the, the track day with Dale on Thursday nice. and then yeah. regular track day on Friday and two days of racing.
2: Cool. And that weekend was clockwise, correct? Yes. Did it meet your expectations Which way do you as like? far as like the level? Which way do I like? Um... They say that you typically like the way that you ride first, and I am probably guilty of that, which would put me in the counterclockwise group. That said, I really like turns one and two going clockwise. There's certain turns that I prefer one way or the other.
0: Hmm. Right. I can't remember which way I liked better. I have also ridden it, but it was years ago. I just remember specifically the bowl was like my main point of like reference Mm
3: -hmm.
0: for which way I liked better. And I want to say counterclockwise, I like the entrance and exit of the bowl better than direction, but yeah, I also think that's the one I did first. So,
2: yeah. So that would mean you're doing the bowl going to the left Mm -hmm. and yeah, it's more sustained time on the throttle versus going from the right where you're preparing for more breaking yeah and also there's like a bit of a lip on the exit going to the right that isn't really tricky but it mentally can like get in your head a little bit that's really dialing into like track dynamics right <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i mean i've heard i've heard a lot about utah um and your are racing out there the track it's kind of question mark in terms of like whether you guys still have that available because like there's an ownership change or something or
1: oh no 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 oh no 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 we're good we're good okay. out there The uh we're, we're good the the track got bought by some other owners years ago and then that's that's what brought up some of those questions and people okay. not knowing what's what's really going on with it. But last year we had a problem with air fence and they were only allowing us to race the West side, the West configuration, but Mm -hmm. that should be all taken care of. We're going to two day racing next year. Awesome. And uh, come up and see how we live.
2: I would love to. I mean, I think maybe that's the what's next for one thing is, you know, take the pressure off of having to do Moto America and I can just go tour around and visit new tracks and see different organizations and enjoy it, right? I mean, not that it's not enjoyable now, but there is a difference of (laughs) feeling like you're on the big stage and have to perform versus like, yeah, seeing your organization and what y'all are about. What I've heard is that you guys will pick people out of the canyons to get more racers which I think is really cool from, like, a gritty, like, I don't know, hooligan-style way of getting people to race.
1: Yeah, I haven't I haven't personally done that, but I know that there's some groups down there that...
0: You said out of the canyons? That's what I heard. Weird. I don't know anything about that. I'm in South Carolina, so I don't know anything about USBA and, <laughs> and what they're doing to recruit, but that's pretty cool. That would be news to I me. I
2: mean, I feel like that would be first but then super flattering if someone's like hey you look like you know what you're doing come test your skills maybe try to go really fast with less risk of dying let's get you a track that doesn't have like as much dirt and rocks and cars on it
0: and deer and yeah i will say that the biggest thing i think that the usba has going for them is their their street gp class which is you show up as a dude with a street legal bike and they help you track prep it. And all you have to do is bring the bike in the gear, go through a series of classes, and then you go, you go do a race at the end of the day. So you, you're doing a track day with an actual race at the end of the day, and that's on a race weekend. So
2: that would be rad.
0: I think it's pretty unique. I think it offers a lot quicker um, entry, if you will,
3: mm-hmm.
2: yeah. to
0: club racing. Whereas I I think generally people go do track days and then someone's like, Hey man, you should race in Utah. You're able to show up in a race. That that could be your first track day. Mm -hmm. In fact, a lot of uh, the people that I met while I was there were doing that and it was their first track day. They'd never done an apex assassins track day. They just showed up for that and they wanted to race. Mm -hmm. So kind of pretty
2: wild. I mean, that, that is cool. And I can see how that translates and, you know, it cuts out a middleman in a way, because, you know, when you're out riding with your buddies, there's inherent competitiveness to that anyhow. So, like, Absolutely. hey, let's see who's got the stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you ride at the Dragondale? Are you close enough to get up there?
0: I haven't. Not yet. Not yet.
2: I mean, but I used to ride canyons more. Like, that's what I was doing before I started riding track, and that was, like, the crew that I was riding with, with all of us with our boxer engines. Like, doing malibu malibu hills and canyons and stuff but now like i feel like i'm a pansy when i get back on the street like i've totally become that rider who's converted to the track and i mean like i was i was commuting on my motorcycle like day in day out for a while too and i barely even knew that anymore but mm-hmm. like something like riding there you know it's such an iconic spot i've driven it but I think about riding it and like, I just think of like, okay, there's like little waterfalls on the side of the road. And then there's like, this one area that never gets sun. And so it's just like a moss pit over like the edge of it. And there's no shoulder and the pavement's weird. Uh, like there's places where it's super uneven. And I'm just like, I don't know that I could get enjoyment out of that because I would not want to charge it now.
0: <laughs> yeah. I um, I definitely plan on doing deals gap before I leave here. Uh mm-hmm. but I much like you started going on the racetrack and have seen my motorcycles actually probably get less total ride time in a year. Oh for sure. Because of it. Um more yeah. enjoyable ride time total, mm-hmm. in my opinion, but definitely not on the street anywhere near as much as I used to be.
2: So here's a fun like parlor game. I like to play with people. When you get a bunch of motorcyclists together, as you say, How many bikes do you think we have between us? Like you guys probably know how many bikes each other has or has a rough idea. And we're talking built to mostly built bikes, right? Like something's out in the shop. That doesn't really count, but we're not talking like, you know, you have this many engines and boxes and the intention to build X, Y, Z bikes. So between the three of us, how many bikes
0: would there be? 17.
1: I'm going 15. Oof. Low.
2: I'll split the difference, sixty.
1: All right. <laughs> <laughs> How many you got, and I'll tell you the answer. <laughs>
2: I've got. I had to think about it because Infield is in Texas. I have my four hundred race bike is at Chuck, and in my garage are four motorcycles. So I'm at six.
0: Wow, I might have been low. So, so got six road bikes, Hello.
2: my R7, and then the two stroke Yamaha.
0: Okay, so you're at six total.
2: Yeah.
0: I've got two jigsaws in my garage and a prelia a Harley. I don't know if you can count the kind of Grom.
2: Yep. I would. If, I used to have a TTR. So okay. That would
0: count. I, I might be able to count a few more in there, but we'll just leave it at that.
2: <laughs> Wait, <laughs> that's if you 11. You can't your number just. I'm trying to be right on your guess.
0: I mean, I'm, I'll be even more under. <laughs> I don't, I, my buddy's ZX6R is sitting in my garage right now. If you want to count that, I've got a little Peewee 50 in the garage. That's technically, very technically a motorcycle. The far As far as projects go, there's definitely one that's sitting in boxes, so I didn't count that one.
2: Yeah. well, count the Peewee then, but not your buddy's bike. This is getting into the fine print
0: but okay so that makes six total in my garage so that's 12 plus whatever he's got which is definitely more than yesterday it would have been less but now it's more
1: oh
3: yeah a baby today
0: we're back up
1: now just put <laughs> took one out of the boxes
0: Yeah, the, the boxes <laughs> are in the garbage the bikes back together so it counts <laughs> now <laughs>
1: So I race a vintage class here at USBA, and last year I had a bike blow up, so I didn't want to lose the championship there, the championship Mm -hmm. contention for the class, so I ran out and Mm -hmm. bought another one, hurried and threw my race parts on it just to finish out the year. And now I'm putting together the original one so that I can put the one I bought last year back together so that I can sell it to someone. So yeah, I, I have three S-4000 sitting in the shop right now.
2: Wolf, <laughs> Three bikes in the shop, you said, or like that's the shop is your garage?
1: Uh, no, the shop's my shop. <laughs> <laughs>
2: okay. Cause when I say I have a bike in the shop, that's, that's a bad thing. That means something, someone did noopsies.
1: Yeah.
2: But that's just yeah, where your bikes mine, live, my, and I call it the nursery, for the record, where the bikes live.
1: <laughs> that's fair. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so we got to oh. how many bikes total?
1: I think there should be ten. There's
2: for you personally.
1: There's three S one thousands.
0: Two Harleys. Two Harleys. There's a Ducati. Husqvarna, another Husqvarna, and a Ducati. That's nine. That's what I'm getting. Did I miss one?
1: Well, I get to count my pit bike. If you get to count yours,
0: oh, boom! There's number ten. Twenty-two. Yeah. Wow, that was quick math. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I Encourage you to play this game with all of your friends. Another I don't know if I gathering. want. I don't
0: know if I want to, but that's a good game.
2: You can learn so much about people, though. Like what? You have an SV sitting in your garage? How long have you had that thing? When are you gonna bring <laughs> that out? You know?
0: Yeah. Right. No, that's good. I enjoyed that. That's it's good. I I don't enjoy when actually we I I sold a car recently and the person came over. They live right across the street and they come over and I had my garage open and they're sitting there like, it is seven. I was like, whoa, what are we <laughs> like apparently to to all the neighbors it's just a question of how many two wheeled vehicles are actually in that garage. So yeah. Anyway,
2: the, the fun for me is like, I was worried you guys were to ask me about my hobbies and I was gonna be like, does rearranging the garage count as a hobby? <laughs> um, I feel like I'm just like endlessly doing that because, um, uh, like I live in an urban area and I have a garage built for like a model T. So it's literally about as wide as my wingspan. So all the bikes have to come out. Anytime we're working on stuff and the neighbors go by and now they go now, which ones are yours and which ones are these all your boyfriends? No, these are mine. (laughs) (laughs) People will see the bike on the back of the car and just automatically start talking to him about stuff. And we get to play games with that.
1: (laughs) Freaking men. You know what? They're terrible.
2: My God. I know. Right. I mean the addendum to like, And I like to go fast. Is it is also fun to beat the boys, and I just really it's just fun to beat people because it's mostly dudes out there.
1: (laughs) I like to beat people.
2: Yeah, yeah, but just like any other racer, you know, like you just you want to finish ahead of people, and if you see someone ahead of you, you want to go after them. That's really all it comes down to. And you know, you kind of made a you asked a question about what's it like to be in the pit and. I think anytime if you took 12 riders and put them under the same tent, like you're going to have a lot of personalities and some days people get along better than others. And I don't think it's really any different from that. But I do think there's reasons why most teams don't have 12 riders under the same tent. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of logistics and personalities,
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> but that's said, that. I mean, most, I think
1: most big pro teams can very bear-
2: I don't know. know. Like, most teams can't feel that many. Like, Titler's has one of the larger teams out there, and I think they'll have four to six riders, depending on the weekend. That's still a lot. And you think of all the staff that goes along with supporting them, both from, like, a technical standpoint as well as just, like, a management and a flight direction sort of component to it. It's it's a lot of moving parts. Um, Obviously, that's, like, different classes, but, no, I think, we have a lot of amazing humans under our tent. Um, I think Scott, our manager, who you guys know, I think, Scott Rybark, Um Sorry. Maybe... <laughs> 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 I mean, I, he has handed Utah racing for a while. That's why I say that. Um, but like he, you know, and, and Freddie too, like they're the main people doing the selection and, and they pick really high quality people. Um, people that want to be there, people that want to be a part of something like this, that, you know, you're not just all the way in it for your own gain. There's kind of a bigger picture component to it. You know, so we have like kids coming around our tent all the time and parents bringing their kids around. And and that's, that's really special. Um, that kind of interaction is really different, I think, from other tents. And, and also we have like really talented people in our tent in their own right. Um, last year, when we started looking around, like at the the career backgrounds of people, I think two or three people worked in a shop. Uh, we had two PhDs, two nurses, an industrial designer, myself with a doctorate, uh, an engineer, and is that twelve people. Like we have really talented people. Some of the women that we brought in this year. There's another. There's another veterinarian, which is kind of wild. Um, for professional skier, a woman who works at a high level at Amazon and does a lot of their logistics, um, I think some additional engineers on top of that too. So like people who really, women who've really proven themselves in a lot of other areas too. And, and like, if you were to ask me, like one thing I wish to go different is that that would get delved into a little bit more from our program because it's people who are really dedicated to the sport and pursuing this at a high level, but that also have all of these other pursuits and have a very different backstory than so many racers right. at that
0: paddock to, to carry on that. Um, I, I don't think there's really an argument, definitely a male dominated sport, right? Uh, right. so getting get to speak to, a, to a female that's not only riding and doing track mm-hmm. days and racing, but, but racing with Moto America and this program is one, something special, but two, what is your your take on that? Is that helping the sport? Is it helping other women? Uh, kind of like where's the future for that and expand, I guess.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's a short answer to that, right? Um, there's a lot of nuances to it. And, you know, there's writers like, like Kayla Jacob, who's absolutely incredible in her own right. She is a hell of a competitor and she's shown that time and time again jumping from one bike to another going over to europe and being pretty dominant for the most part um very capable right Mm -hmm. i know kayla's given interviews where she's not as much fan of that of of having female specific like i think this is an interview about what kayla said but (laughs) she just speaks to the perspective of like we're racers we want to race that's something that i love you know, when you put on a suit and a helmet, it doesn't really matter. You're just going after the next person. And yeah, we say dude, usually, because that's a pretty safe right. assumption. Um, but that it is a very equal proving ground. There's nothing that's really differentiating us when we're out on track. So the fact that there's a women specific class, you know, like, on the one hand, that, that feels a little awkward, especially because, you know, the equipment that we're racing isn't as technologically up to date, and I don't think there's anywhere else, you know, with the exception of a few privateers where, where, where the racer is doing most of their own work as well. So that's another kind of component of, or I guess, layer of effort and sort of like mental redirection. Right. But That said, you know, I think Harley's also weren't necessarily like built to race at a really high level. They just happen to have a tremendous amount of support and finance behind them um that allows right. them to really maximize that platform it makes me curious what this bike could do with that degree of support i mean it's, it's an insane amount of support for that financially to have um like you talk to chloe Laren or someone at, at harley davidson and, and like the knowledge that goes into those bikes and how they maximize them is just insane and also like talking to, to kyle like what he can do with that bike is wild he also knows that brand so intimately all of all of the wyman brothers do um So I think in some ways, like we're still very new with what this bike can do and what this class can do, Mm
3: -hmm.
2: but it's accessing a different kind of consumer and enthusiast that doesn't otherwise feel like they have a place in the sport or doesn't feel like there's an outlet that's affirming for them. I mean, I know for a fact, the fact that where they're racing, like is more meaningful to a certain group of people that are watching it. I mean, I could talk about like, like. The girls that would come up and we're just so excited to see women in leathers and women racing around the track. You know, I think we all just want to race and be our best at what we're doing. You know, kind of
3: right.
2: all your point about the bucket list, but it's amazing to get to part, be a part of this, particularly because it extends so far beyond just what we're doing, because there is much more of like an inspirational component to it. And yeah, it's cliche at this point, but. The representation matters i think it'd be awesome if we could open up to more more ladies like if you have a bike come out and race it or, or you know like it's, right it's doing something different where otherwise we wouldn't be able to have this kind of a platform training experience and you know the point of you guys invited me on here and i really appreciate that and it's great to see the program getting more interest and support and followers and people realizing like okay it's it's not It's definitely not a super bike, (laughs) (laughs) but to ride this bike, well, you have to be able to ride it really well. It's not going to give you very much. Um, And that's something that like, I think we came a long way last year in our class of showing like it can be competitive And this bike, you know, has talented riders. We're not literally straight off the streets. We have race experience. We have acumen, we have talent. We're working hard at this. Our times are about ten seconds off of junior cup riders. I think that's really impressive, given that we're working with less horsepower than them and a heavier bike than them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know. So,
0: on the on the other hand, though, I mean, you you race down at CVMA, CRA. Have you seen the experience with BTR translate back and and add some value? just on a standard club racing level for you? Yeah,
2: I'd say for sure. Um, I mean, there's always the benefit of seat time, right. And going to other tracks and Stephen May doesn't run through the summer. And so I'm, I'm getting to race through the summer, but, but no, like I, I noticed the difference that I got out there just in terms of like race craft and thinking about it as well as like my knowledge of the bike and how I solve problems. Like it, it absolutely was an amazing education from that standpoint. Um, and yeah, like, I, I actually was able to get out there with my uh, rural infield last, last round, two rounds ago when we got rained out and I was going to get to race in like the American Thunder class, but I rode formula two and like, man, I'm pushing that bike as hard as I can to get to like a two oh seven. but you know, I'm beating our sevens.
3: On a bike yeah.
2: That's significantly less horsepower and weight and not quite as nimble. So like, For me, in particular, it's taught me how to be a lot smarter about a lot of nuances about racing because I can't, you know, I can't rely on power. Um, the The weight to power ratio on that bike is really challenging. I I feel like a squeaky wheel about this, and I'm not trying to like play a tiny violin, but call you met me. I am not a petite. I'm like five eleven, and so I just like inherently have to ride at a high level to compete with people that weigh significantly less than me. (laughs) So, (laughs) uh, Learning how to do that, that's kind of like the small bike training thing too, like anyone can do this, right? But like maintaining rolling momentum and learning how to maximize corners, learning how to read a track, learning how to read your competition and figure out when to make a move. All of those things absolutely do translate as well as just a piece of like relating to other racers. It's like we spent a lot of time talking to people too. In the American mm-hmm. Paddock, and, and that part's cool as well. So yeah, it, it does translate for sure. Cool.
0: Awesome. Yeah. So, yeah I think Cole awesome. might've had
1: something maybe, or did you lose it again? You keep saying that, but I've given up because I think my
0: delay has grown.
1: <laughs> I don't know why.
0: Uh, well, um, I, can say that I might've run out of questions for you. I could talk about motorcycles with you all night, but I do also have a job. So before we wrap this up, is there any one, any shout outs you'd like to give to anyone that's maybe helped you along the way or just anything like that. And then two, any, I guess any tips. Um, I don't think we have a whole lot of female listeners, but I think it's a rare and special occasion to get someone that's been through that program and, it has continued racing any any tips for someone that might be on that path or trying to go down that path i guess
2: Ooh, that becomes a big topic that could be like a whole other <laughs> segment of conversation i mean i will say first like thank you for thinking of me and inviting me out and, and giving some attention to our program and what we're doing and and build train race like yeah like what am i tonight? gonna wrap the program tremendous and we have some great sponsors from them too um they're kind of too numerous to mention but awry parts unlimited rural infield north america rural infield in general obviously comes to mind um camp school supports us too they're not an official sponsor but that's where we do a lot of our coaching so shout out to all of those guys um yeah it's a long list k-tech <laughs> i could go on with them long beach pw helped me out to get my start so jeff who you guys met someone who from the beginning was like you want to get to the track come out to the track and i think that kind of segues a little bit to um, how to help women. Yeah, I'd like to also speak to your your male listeners and say, like, be open to women being legitimate in this sport and be open to them wanting to be competitors and get out there. And you haven't known everything your whole life about this and neither has everybody. And some women have known a lot like their whole lives and have been around Mm -hmm. motorcycles. So I, I think that there's room for creating more space. For women at some times, um, but also for women to, to pursue the parts of this that that resonate for them um, and to find the people that are encouraging to them. Because I think our path, our paths as women into motorcycles, is going to be very different and very unique and also very individually driven. Um, and people love to give us advice along the way that it may be very well intentioned, but not necessarily uh-huh. good advice. And so I think just riding motorcycles, speaking as a woman is this amazing tool for harnessing your instincts and also helping you see like your capabilities. And so if women can lean into that, I think that they will find that more paths open to them. And They have every right to be on a racetrack or a track and defending what they know and figuring out how to go faster and have fun and beat the boys.
3: Hell yeah.
0: Awesome. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> 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 oh, i love it
2: daughters what do you want them to hear what would you like what do you think would be important for them like they see you riding all the time do you want them to ride do you get them on the peewee bike and let them charge i don't i don't, I don't know do you have one? uh
0: yeah i do actually and she's she's got a little electric bike that rips around at nine miles an hour she probably rides it better than i could so um yeah no absolutely uh, I think it's awesome. I think the racetrack is for everyone. Um, I can say that personally, I agree with Kayla Yakov. I don't think there should be a separation. I don't know if there needs to be. Um, but to, to your point, I, I liked your comment of, uh, they get a lot of advice along the way. Uh, cause I definitely yeah. have, have seen that, uh, in in many different and not just our hobby and in, in every hobby.
3: Sure.
0: Um, but, yeah, it's awesome to hear that, that programs like this exist. And that I don't even know exactly where I was going with that. But, um, yeah, it's possible. There's nothing stopping you. I don't know.
3: Yeah.
0: I've passed women riders on the track plenty of times. Also been passed by a, a woman who's been racing motorcycles for a long time on an R6, in turn six, at the Ridge. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, that humility thing comes into effect. And you're just like, it ain't about who you are, what you are, is just what you do. And so nothing else really matters.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would love for there to not be a need for women specific classes, but I would say even for myself, like, like it's, it's great that FIM now has a women's class, a women's championship. That's going to be fun to watch bringing together talent from around the world, like to let them duke it out. Hell yeah. Phenomenal. And that's just going to elevate the sport in ways that it hasn't appealed before. I mean, I, I definitely had an anti-sport bike bias for a lot of my life. And FIM created a women's spec or women's class with the R7 and they're going to get to ride tracks around Europe. How amazing, like women from around the world who are legitimate racers already are going to get to duke it out. And like, that makes me feel like, oh yeah, there's another step. Like BTR shouldn't be the pinnacle here. Right. Like it should be creating more opportunities. And so now to see like Mallory Dobbs would be another great Mm -hmm. racer for you guys to interview, like that she's going there and that she is now on a team where the principal's a woman, like who's been working in moto GP for years. Like that does open doors. And that does create a sense of like, it's one thing to say you have a right to be here. You have are just as good, but it's another to see people doing that. And so I'm excited to see her and, I'm excited to hopefully see more young women at the track or at the cart track and like not being put on four wheels, getting to do two wheels if that's their thing and like getting to pursue this stuff. I think motocross is a lot better at getting ladies onto two wheels and letting them be competitors. I guess it's one of those like rising tide lifts all ships kind of a thing.
1: All right. I have a I have a bunch of arguments and stuff that could get me in a lot of trouble right now, but I'm not going to risk doing that with the (laughs) technical difficulties that I'm struggling with. That's it. All right. Well, we'll. uh, (laughs) (laughs) We'll I said I'm not. I said I'm not going to.
0: No. Yeah. You're. You're good.
1: There's no way I can do that with this delay. (laughs) All right. Well, it's
2: ripe for conversation. But I guess I, I just say, like, tune in and watch us and, like, support it and come out and, you know, we're racing.
0: Heck, yeah, that's, that's about how I was going to finish it off. Uh, first, I want to say <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Lauren, for being here, for joining us tonight and teaching us a little bit more about Build, Train, Race and uh, more about you and your your background and your future. I think we're going to have to catch up. Uh, either halfway through the season or at the end of the season and see how everything went and see what, you know, what, is there another item in the bucket list after that or what kind of the, what the future holds. want to thank everyone for listening this week uh, and, and being here. And as Lauren said, tune into Moto America this year in general. Uh, that's that's what I, my big push is just watch motorcycle racing of, of some sort. Join us. That's what we do. And if you're watching it, stick around for build train race their program their racing it's pretty sweet you said just name them off again the ridge barber uh barber,
2: Road america the ridge mid-ohio so Mid Ohio. yeah may june july august we'll be out there racing come out i mean i hope you guys will make it to some rounds that would be pretty sweet
0: yeah yeah i think we've, we've got some in the plans i know i will definitely be down at barber so i will definitely stop by and say hi and yeah. as always we'll encourage everyone else find your local moto america event go it's worth it 100 you can literally go say hi to lauren down in the pits Yay. hang out with them all day or whoever else you want and we'll leave you guys with that for this week and we'll see you next week
2: thanks so much for having me this was real fun appreciate what you guys are doing i think it's so clutch that more people get access to motorcycles and figure out what the heck all this racing stuff's about and it's really cool that that's you know Kind of where you guys step in is to translate some of that and build the stoke. you yep. here trying to build a stoke.
0: <laughs> Absolutely.
1: <laughs> you bet. Thanks for coming on.